As much as I loved practice and I loved my patients and my clients, I, I kind of felt like I didn't really quack like the other ducks. <laughs> From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. You can do so much with a veterinary degree. You probably know that practicing in a clinic setting is just one path. There's academia, regulatory medicine, public health, and industry. And it's never too late to make a change and jump into a different field. This was the case for Dr. Gail Millard. She practiced in a clinic setting for 20 years, seven of which she owned a practice. But she always felt a little different from her colleagues as early as veterinary school. Something that had always been kind of, something that was in the back of my mind is that I am an extreme extrovert. I, I love meeting people. I love talking to people. I'll, I'll talk to anybody in an airplane. I just, <laughs> I, and. I, I think that's a little unusual in veterinary medicine. And so did, in vet school and even in practice, I, I always kind of felt like, as much as I loved practice and I loved my patients and my clients, I, I kind of felt like I didn't really quack like the other ducks. Yeah. And when I came to industry, I found the ducks who quack like me. And, and what it. happened is I actually was really close friends with my Mariel sales rep. And there was a position open in Memphis, and she took me to coffee one day and said, you need to do this. And when I really did not know this job existed. I mean, I knew there were veterinarians in industry that worked in research and that developed products, and, and I knew that there were vets in you know, all kinds of university research and in teaching, but I just did not realize that there were veterinarians who represented products and worked with sales reps on, on the sales side. And when I went and read the job description, I literally thought there should have been a picture of me wow. on it because it was just, I've always enjoyed organizational veterinary medicine. I mean, mm -hmm. wherever I've lived, I've always been involved in the local and the state VMA. And the fact that this is now part of my job, they actually pay me to go to TVMA <laughs> meetings. It's just, it doesn't get any better. So, yeah. so that was kind of the transition. The transition meant taking on the role as a professional services veterinarian at Muriel, which is now BI Animal Health. She's been with BI for 14 years now. She served sales representatives all across Texas and half of New Mexico. Here's what her job entails. So my primary mission is to make sure that the sales reps that are on my team, so I'm assigned to a team of sales reps. Okay. Um, we have nine in our district, and I partner with a district manager. So he's their boss, mm -hmm. and I am their technical support. And so I kind of describe it as mom and dad. He's the dad, and I'm the mom. <laughs> okay. So he makes sure that they make a number and that they accomplish what they're asked to accomplish. And my job okay. is more, how can I make you better? How can I fill your head with science? So I joke that I drill a hole in their head and I pour science into the top of it. <laughs> but it's really very rewarding because all of my sales reps have a very strong science background. A lot of them wanted to go to vet school and for whatever reason didn't. I have one who's a daughter of a veterinarian. So they're tremendously committed to animal health. So that's my first mission. The second mission that I think is equally as important is that, um, so we are regulated as a company by three agencies, the FDA for medications like HeartGuard, um, the EPA for pesticides like Frontline, <clears throat> and the USDA for vaccines. And so we have to abide by the rules from all of those agencies. And those agencies, pretty much universally, do not like 
for sales reps to talk about the off-label use of a product. And, and okay. a good example is the American Heartworm Society recommends using a heartworm preventative in a heartworm positive dog because we know there are good reasons to do that. That's an off-label use of the product. It's not supposed to be used as a treatment, it's supposed to be used as a preventive. Okay. So my sales reps know that and they know how to talk to that issue, but they're really not supposed to go there because that's not their area. Mm -hmm. But because I'm a veterinarian, I can have a vet-to-vet -vet conversation or a vet to a staff member, and it and it's kind of considered okay, if, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And then I also am just a resource to my vets and to my sales reps. I do presentations um, about, like for instance, I just went to the Triennial Symposium of the American Heartworm Society. So I, my head, you probably can see heartworm knowledge pouring out of my ears <laughs> as I talk to you. Just a little bit. So it, it's really fun to be able to go to South Texas where they have real challenges with heartworm and kind of tell them the latest, greatest research that's just come out from people who do nothing but study heartworm all day. So I, I love being a resource to my customer veterinarians. To accomplish all these missions, she travels a lot. The travel that I do that I was told when I was hired was a total underestimation of how uh, much I actually travel. Um, yeah. Fortunately, it kind of tends to come in waves. I mean, this last month I've been on the road for every single weekend, so I'm kind of looking forward to tomorrow mm -hmm. when I can go home and watch the Dallas Cowboys with my dog on my lap. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in San Antonio. Which yes. Is Yes, I, I live here. Um, my district goes all the way to South Texas, down to Brownsville, goes all the way to West Texas, to Mexico, so Del Rio, um, Eagle Pass out there, and then El Paso and Southern New Mexico, and then I have all of San Antonio and half of Austin. So, But then, like, American Heart Society was in New Orleans, so I spent four days in New Orleans. Darn. <laughs> That's tough. Staying yeah. at the Ritz-Carlton. I don't know. Um, and then I went from there, and... I can't help talking about this. The, my very, very favorite thing that I do of all of my duties is um, BI is a sponsor for a meeting of primary care educators. So these are veterinarians at vet schools who teach primary care. <clears throat> and they, they're kind of a unique group because they're trying to teach students about what private practice is like in an academic setting. Mm -hmm. They frequently come from private practice. They're usually not boarded in anything. So um, they don't really play the academic political games all that well, and, and they don't have a budget. So we decided about seven years ago, that was Marielle then, but now BI, that we would sponsor a meeting for them to all get together, and I get to be the liaison to that group. So cool. I've known them for seven years, and they're my people. I just, I just yeah. love them. Because they're really, when you think about it, they're teaching what veterinarians are going to do every day. So mm -hmm. they're making baby veterinarians into actual veterinarians, and that's just so inspiring. To support that and it's actually become an international meeting where we have vets from we have primary care educators from england and ireland and south africa and mexico and australia and new zealand and so it's really yeah it's really cool so I, I went directly from the new orleans meeting to washington state which hosted the primary care meeting so i went from like 95 degrees to 70 which was awesome oh, yeah <laughs> so so you probably yeah. have friends all over the world i do actually Yes, it's actually fun to say that I, I have spoken nationally and internationally. Yeah. Not a do, lot internationally. Do you know other languages? Oh, it? no. I wish I did. <laughs> no. no, I have a very rudimentary understanding of Spanish. I can kind of understand it if you talk really slowly. Yeah, but, which is helpful in yes, San Antonio. It is. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, and what are some of the challenges of traveling a lot? Hmm. 
Do you know, I, I, I really, I am a tremendous optimist, so it's hard to get me to talk about negative stuff. And <laughs> yeah. I, I actually started this job and I knew the travel was going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll just do it until I hate it. Yeah. And I still love it. I mean, I, I really think there's something clinically wrong with me because I giggle on the way to the airport. I just, Aww. I think it's fun. I love meeting people on airplanes. I love going to new cities. Yeah. I, I love the whole kind of thing of, of knowing the tricks of the trade, you know, like I have memberships in every airline and every hotel chain and and I know like I know there's a really awesome restaurant in the Denver airport so if you're ever there I can tell you that Wolfgang Puck has a has a like a small restaurant there and I I love being in the Denver airport because I love his soup how do you feel about the Austin airport I love the okay so (laughs) you probably shouldn't have asked me this so I love the airport I hate how you get there Mm -hmm. I mean it just amazes me that there is not a major highway without stoplights yeah. on the way to and from their airport. So I, I'm kind of partial to the San Antonio airport because I can. Okay. it's like literally 12 minutes from my house. So That's convenient. I can leave like an hour and a half before my flight. That's great. Get there in plenty of time. So, so I really, I, I don't have any. Now, of course, you know, when things go badly, when the flight gets canceled and you end up spending a weekend in a city you don't want to be in or, right. or they lose your bag, but that stuff really doesn't happen that often. Yeah. You know? I mean, I have a colleague who talks about Still kind of enjoying the wonder of flying that we're sitting in a chair in the sky. It is amazing. I mean, it's amazing. It's just, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, there are challenges. I, I think probably the only negatives I feel about on my job are bureaucratic, you know, documenting, mm-hmm. writing reports, filing expense reports, that kind of thing. I mean, that yeah. just comes with, there's, there's always a downside to a job that yeah. is not exactly fun, but. Just part oh, of well, it. It's yeah. part of the deal. Exactly. Yeah. When she first started her job, though, the biggest challenge of traveling was being far away from her son. At the time, my son was six, and my husband had kind of slain all the dragons at Marriott that there were to slay, and he was tired of working 80-hour weeks and missing soccer games, and so Mm -hmm. we basically switched places. He became a stay-at-home dad, and I became a traveling mom, and I could not have done this, at least, and I know there are mothers who do it, and... I admire them tremendously, but it was just really helpful for my mom guilt that daddy was there getting him off the bus at the end of the day. And, and so I, I I was very, very lucky in that regard. It was still really hard. I mean, there were times that he would cry and say, do you have to leave mommy? And that was just heart wrenching. It was horrible. One thing that I found that worked really well for me to help, um, I mean, I, admittedly missed some childhood events, you know, some sporting events, some school plays. But what I found myself doing that worked really well for me is that if I could meet with a teacher and say, if you can give me as much notice as possible, if I can get something on my calendar six weeks in advance, I can almost always protect it. Mm. And so it was the the things that I missed frequently were things that came up suddenly, Mm. like, oh, we're going to the Botanical Gardens tomorrow. Well, gee, sorry about that. Can't make it. Um, Oh, and I just thought of another story related directly to the Botanical Gardens. But um, so I just just felt like as as long as I could get things in advance, like for instance, my sales reps learned when my son was playing basketball, do not ask her to do a presentation on a Tuesday night during basketball season because Mm -hmm. she's going to be watching her kid. And and you can do that. I, I think there are ways to stand up and say, look, parenting comes first. And if absolutely possible, we're going to protect that, and then I will do my job. But I have to tell you that I had an experience a long time ago with a doctor, um, and the, I was working in a clinic, and he was one of my bosses, and he told me, 
he handed me a handout. The clinic was sponsoring a CE day for clinics in the area, which was awesome, that was on that Saturday. And my son had a school trip to the botanical gardens that I had already agreed to be like a chaperone for. And I'd gotten permission to get off, and I was studying all the material in advance, so I was going to try to assimilate as much of the information that was going to be shared at that event as possible that I was going to miss. But there was one way day that the doctor handed me the handout, and he said, you need to make sure that, you know, you've covered this material before the CE event. And I said, yes, I have, but I'm not going to be there. And he said, why? And I told him that I had this prior commitment with my son's class. And he said to me, you need to reevaluate your priorities. And what I wanted to say was, I already have. (laughs) And that's why I'm not going to be there. And what was interesting is that I knew uh, he was one of the founders of the practice. And he devoted ridiculous hours. At that time, it was a mixed animal practice. And his kids didn't really have a great relationship with him because he was never home. And I I just don't think that's worth sacrificing. And I think something that the younger generation is teaching us is that it's unacceptable to sacrifice that mm-hmm. kind of stuff because you just don't get that stuff back. Yeah, it's, it seems like work-life balance has been a priority yep. for recent graduates. In fact, I was just talking to a veterinarian yesterday that was talking about an associate that is not at this meeting mm-hmm. because her son is a senior and she wants to be as involved in his activities as a senior mm-hmm. as she could. And I was like, yeah. that is absolutely the right thing to do because you don't get that time back. Dr. Millard always made an effort to spend as much time as she could with her son, and the time they had together when she was an industry veterinarian was actually better quality than when she was in private practice. People would ask me a lot, how do you handle being a mom with your travel schedule? And although there is um, stress with being an industry vet, it's a different kind of stress. And in contrast to being in practice, where I always had hospitalized cases and I spent a lot of weekends at the clinic, I I almost felt like even when I was with my child, I wasn't totally present because those cases that were always on my mind kind of kept me distracted. And I spent a lot of my weekends at the clinic. And an advantage of industry is that when I'm home on a Friday afternoon, the company pretty much shuts down. Mm. And I could be totally present for my kid on Friday afternoon and through the weekends. Um, And then there have been a lot of travel opportunities. I was blessed by my company that we launched um, an NSAID called Prevacox. And in Europe, they were having a hard time launching that product. And Mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about that medication. So they sent me to England to work with English veterinarians. And they allowed me to schedule it the week before my son's spring break. So I had him fly over when he was 12. And we spent a week in London and did Stonehenge and... Tower of London and Buckingham Palace. And so those are the kind of opportunities that he would never have had if his mom wasn't an industry veterinarian. So a couple of things that I just have to say that are kind of the yin and yang of having a child when you're an industry vet is that shortly after I took the job, I overheard him saying to his friends that his mom used to be a veterinarian. (laughs) And I had to remind him that mommy is still a veterinarian. She doesn't like stamp out disease like she used to yeah. and but then on the other hand when he got a little older he said something that was just so profound for mm-hmm. a kid and so understanding of my personality he said mom think how many more animals you help than you did when you saw one dog at a time mm. and that's really the essence of what I love yeah. about my profession because I feel like I have an impact on the profession as a whole you know being involved in universities and research and development and, and serving a lot of veterinarians so that they can serve animals. So it's just, it's a step back, but it's still impacting the profession as a whole. 
Um, and I can tell you that one good thing about being an industry vet as your child gets, or any vet as your child gets older, is that he's now in college. And it's amazing how your mommy guilt goes away mm -hmm. <laughs> when they go to college. It's like, oh, I can do whatever I want because he's not yeah. here anyway. So You're an empty nester? <laughs> I am an empty nester, yes. And I, I, list, I heard a podcast, ironically, um, <laughs> before my son went to college that talked about the empty nest being a myth that oh. you interview women, especially whose moms have gone to college, and it's it's ridiculously freeing. I mean, it's it's weird um, that they're not there. Yeah. And um, and I obviously miss it. In fact, there was one time I was sitting in my office on a conference call the day that he left from Christmas break to go back to school, and mm -hmm. I'm I'm actually giving a report on a conference call as I see his car back out of the driveway, and I was like, <gasps> I was oh. like trying to maintain and be professional when my yeah. baby's about to drive away. But I, I really do think that in general, the empty nest is better because you get to reconnect with your significant other mm -hmm. and get involved in things that you didn't have a chance to do and yeah. watch football with your dog on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are some of those things that you you got to do again or you got to do more of that you didn't do as much? So um, I think there are things like I'm, I'm in a book club that I've never had time to be in before and I actually have time to read the book. Which, nice. <laughs> because it's not just going to the book, it's actually finding time to read the book. Yeah, so yeah. I think things like that that I just, there was no way I could do that when I was following kid activities. Yeah, and so. what kinds of books, like what are you reading? So um, what am I reading? That's a classic interview question. Um, <laughs> So I, right now I'm reading, I can't remember the name of it. It's something like I Am the Machine or something like that. And okay. the book club picks the yeah. books. Yeah. So, um, and I'm actually doing it on Audible, which I've never done before. Oh, and I'm nice. finding it strangely addictive. Mm -hmm. Like I, I downloaded it on my phone in my office and I started listening just to listen to see what it was going to be like. And suddenly half an hour has gone by and I'm like, oh, oh wow. I should probably get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Reading in that way is very fun. Yes, yeah. exactly. Reflecting back on her career, one of the best parts of her job is meeting some of the brightest minds in the profession. When we spoke, she had recently had a meaningful conversation with Dr. Alice Wolf, a professor at Texas A&M University and a feline medicine specialist. So she and I were talking about the, um, the struggles of women in veterinary medicine, and, and when we were in school, Veterinary medicine was overwhelmingly male. I mean, more so in her day than mine. When I was in vet school, my vet class was 70% male and 30% female. So we were relatively new. Yeah. Um, and I remember having, I, I don't remember any experiences in vet school where I was treated differently or felt like I was discriminated against. Um, I was asked some questions in my interview that were incredibly illegal. <laughs> I mean, I was asked at the time if I was going to, quit practicing and have kids and mm. you know why should we pay for her education yeah and I, at the time I mean I was really naive and I wasn't offended by that question I probably should have been but I wasn't and then when I graduated I remember interviewing with a veterinarian who had hired a woman before me who left suddenly and stole a whole bunch of his clients and he said to me I will never hire a woman ever again oh. and I remember thinking you're attaching gender to a to a behavior that mm -hmm. it does and I just remember thinking okay you're an idiot I wouldn't want to work for you anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just the word discrimination didn't really dawn on me I was just like okay you're stupid <laughs> I don't want to work for you yeah. and I remember another person that I interviewed with their clinic was 
in a downtown location that they felt like was dangerous at night. And he was like, well, I don't want to hire a woman because you're at risk to come do after all hours calls mm. in the middle of the night. And I was like, well, I'll get a Rottweiler. <laughs> and yeah. I remember thinking, okay, that's kind of weird. But again, I, my feeling is that when you meet someone like that, then it's okay. You're not a good fit for me. Right. I'm going to go someplace where I feel more comfortable. So does that make sense? Yeah. Just... Yeah. They're like really small subtle things yes, that happened. Exactly. Yes. I remember when I owned, and now this wasn't really internal in the profession, when I opened my practice as a practice owner, and this was in 1987. Can I just, maybe I went to vet school when I was nine, right? Okay. <laughs> Long time ago. And I remember there was a, and this will date me, that the, um, the Yellow Pages salesman came in Okay. to talk to me about advertising. Yeah. And I was having this conversation. He said, well, can I just talk to your husband about this? And uh, I basically told him to get lost. After that. I mean, that <laughs> I'd be like, really like frustrated. Appalling. Yes. Yeah. But again, I just, okay, you're an idiot. I'm not doing business with you. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> so. so it's all about finding your people. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. say that Dr. Gail Millard found her people, or rather her ducks, the ducks that quacked like her, in industry veterinary medicine. And while it wasn't easy balancing motherhood with being a traveling industry veterinarian, the unique role gave her and her son opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise, in a workplace where she truly belonged. Dr. Millard works at BI Animal Health. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, We'll hear from the author of Crowded in the Middle of Nowhere, Tales of Humor and Healing from Rural America. Here's what happened. When that magazine asked me to write a funny article for them once a month, you know what it did to me? It made me walk through life looking for something funny. That's Dr. Bo Brock. You'll learn a few of the funny things Dr. Brock wrote about on the next episode. For now, please subscribe to the podcast, rate the show, and write a review. That's how more veterinary professionals will find out about the show. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TV. <laughs>